Welcome. You're listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Visit us on the web at vedanta.org. Who can define thee? Who art self-existent and self-luminous? He's shining. All these shine. So the Bhagavatam and the Upanishads speak to us of light and joy. I'm going to tell you the secret. This was written by Swami Vivekananda. I was going to save it for the end, but I just couldn't stand it. May my luminous love fasten firm to him, capital H, to Shiva, in whom arise visions of glory immeasurable. May my luminous love cling to him who is utterly pure like the sky, who is Lord of all, having no Lord over himself. May my luminous devotion be attached to him, by whom all delusion is destroyed, in whom lordship is forever existent. May it be attached to him, who manifesting surpassing love is named the great God. The firm embrace of him, love itself, reveals within the heart the infinity of being, the falseness of the worlds. I salute mind, capital M, which has its support in Shiva, but has lost its pristine perfection and assumed misshapen forms. I salute mind, in which all the impresses of the past are blowing like a furious tempest. I worship Shiva, in whom ideas of cause and effect, thoughts and impresses, and countless varied forms become the real one, capital R, capital O. I worship him in whom, when the wind of change is calmed, there is neither within nor without. I worship him who is the perfect stillness of the mind, whose thunderous laughter is the flood of knowledge. He from whom all darkness is dispersed, who manifests as white radiance, who is beautiful as the white lotus, he who is indivisible, who is sought in meditation, he who is realized in the heart of men of self-control. May he, that lordly swan of my mind, protect me, May he protect me who am bowing before him. This morning I think you should know, because we wouldn't want you to be here under uncertain or misguided premises, this morning is going to be an opera. It's an opera. This is an anthem of light. I hear America singing with Walt Whitman the varied carols I hear, the whole world. I hear the universe singing when the morning stars sang together. Oh, Lord, what a morning. Oh, Lord, what a morning. Oh, Lord, what a morning when the stars begin to shine. In the beginning, in the beginning, 
God said, let there be light. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Martin Luther King, Jr. We had a friend here named Lex Hickson. He was one of us. He kind of, kind of ecumenical, kind of encyclopedic, like Houston Smith. And he wrote this about the glorious Quran from his Sufi point of view. Krishna followed the Sufi path. All existence, he says, as the hidden depth of the glorious Quran reveals most mysteriously as it is there in the Quran, that all existence is the light of Allah. Within the light of Allah, the nurun ala nur. The cry of the soul is therefore light, more light, and only light. The light of Allah is the illumination of heaven and earth, the only medium of awareness and being the sustenance of souls. All creation longs for light and evolves toward light. We are fish swimming in the ocean of light, birds flying in the sky of light. The insubstantial shadows of negation are cast only by the single light of affirmation. Atomic structures of matter molecular structures of life, linguistic structures of culture, and ecstatic structures of spiritual vision are complexities that consist only of light and subsist only within the essential simplicity of divine light. And he says, the lovers of truth are deep in prayer, waiting for the smile of light. Here's one I love. Let in the light. Within your hearts, O oh brothers, doth burn a flame of the divine creator, capital D, capital C, itself, capital I. Realize it. Go inwards until you see it, until you feel it, until it becomes part of your every thought and action. And then you will, in quotes, let in light. Within the soul of each of you, there is a divine spark, which itself is the result of a direct illumination from the Spirit, silently, within you all. Go into this divine spark, meditated upon it. Let the mighty rays vibrate through you every day, every hour, every second, every microsecond, and then you will let in the light to your earth, to all those around you. From the Songs of the Gospel, what lightning shines from this form? What lightning shines from within this form? In Chit Ananda, in the nectar of bhakti, be engrossed. Who are you, a holy man? Sages like you wander about the earth, shedding the light of knowledge and peace. 
wherever there is unrest and ignorance, deign to shed that light on me, that all my ignorance may disappear. Again, the Bhagavatam. Now, you know, we have our understandings of this and as Americans, and I just thought I might remind us of some of them. Dashing through the snow on a one-horse open sleigh, o'er the fields we go, laughing all the way. Ha, ha, bells on bobtails ring, making spirits bright. Oh, what fun it is to laugh and sing a sleighing song tonight. How about, oh, come all ye faithful, the Latin. Adas de fidelis, lighty triumphantes, venite, venite in Bethlehem. And it says, Regum Angelorum, King of the Angels, venite, Adoramus, let us come to adore thee, let us come to adore thee, Venite adoremus dominum. And one version has it. Deum de Deo. Deum de Deo. Lumen de lumine. God of gods. God of lights. You know, we sing a song at Vesper service every night. Again, I think Vivekananda wrote this. Sure he did. So let us look deep in thine eyes. They are bright with the wisdom of God. And I'm just going to give you a little bit of the almost unintelligible word-for-word translation from the Bengali, because it's root. It will reach our hearts. Shining ecstasy ocean. Ever drunk love waves. Come to the heart's black cave. Basis of lights. Light blazing heart cave. Come. And illumine. Thou light. Of the light. And this is uh, something translated by Swami V. v. Mohananda in 2016, so it's right off the presses, you see. Like the flapjacks are right off the griddle. It's called In the Divine Realm, Swami Purvananda. I will end, he says, with the following words of Rabindranath Tagore. While taking leave, I wanted to be known. That I have drunk, he says, the nectar from the hundred-petaled lotus, which resides in the ocean of light, and have thus become blessed forever. I got a home in Loveland that outshines the sun. Oh, I've got a home. If you know it, sing it with me. It outshines the sun. Oh, I've got a home in Loveland that outshines the sun. Look away beyond the blue. Well, 
Do Lord, oh do Lord, oh do remember me. Do Lord, oh do Lord, oh do remember me. Do Lord, oh do Lord, oh do remember me. Look away beyond the blue. We had somebody come over today. Yeah, he just said he's coming, and I really hope he's here. I think he is. <laughs> Hank Williams, Jr. Somebody say glory. <laughs> Let me hear it from the balcony. There you go. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. You know what hallelujah means? It means God's with you. Praise God. That's what it means. The universe doesn't become less spiritual, it said, as we understand it better. In fact, the poetry and scientific truths flourishes with deeper understanding. That's Adam Alter talking. He's a professor in the School of Business. He's talking in June 2016, so it wasn't a long time ago. Now, you know Isaac Newton, amazing man. He worked on light. Did you know that? He set up a prism in his little room, and he sent a 
beam of white light. He worked on white light. And he split it into the component parts that we think of as a rainbow. And you didn't ask, but someday we might have got around to it, talking about our favorite poets and some of their favorite poems. It might surprise you, but I think my favorite poem is Shelley. I mean, what more does one have to write and say in one lifetime than this? He is capitalizing, you know, like one. <laughs> the one remains, the many change and pass. Heaven's light forever shines, earth's shadows fly. Life, like a dome of many-colored glass, stains the white radiance of eternity. So let's just have a little fun with our friends Feynman and John Dobson and the scientist. You know, Erwin Schrodinger is considered a Vedantist. He is. Neo-Vedantist, I think they call him. But then aren't we all? This business of light, you know. I think we have every right to think about it ourselves because that's what thinking is all about. You know, my dad was a teacher. He wondered if you could actually teach thinking. And I said, have my conversations with dad still. I said, dad, I think you can. I think what you got to do is give something to somebody they can think about and chew over and then let them do the thinking and something like that. But the question is, where does light come from? Well, you look up into the night sky, which before fire was what we had to look at before we went to bed with the chickens. And you know, fire's been around controlled for at least 400,000. Now I think they're saying 700,000 years. And I kind of like to give credit to Peking woman around the fire. You see the embers uh, may be caught from lightning, tending and figuring out how to strike the spark so we can stay up longer. And then our source of wonder might be sitting around the fire at night. That might be where the source of religion began. But I submit to you that for however many hundred thousand years we were out there, could see the night sky. Isn't it awesome when you get where it's dark? The, the, the Milky Way like cement. They say, the American Indians say that some of them, that that's the souls rushing towards God, rushing towards glory. But I have often thought in my own mind, you know, it's just, just a kind of an imaginary thing. Supposing that night sky were a big curtain of velvet with little holes poked through and the holes poke through what we call the stars. That actually is a view of the American Indians, I learned later. But as we're thinking about it, the question is, I think, the light within that the saints speak of, the mystics, you know, the, the Quakers, they call it the inner light. Every time they get a meeting together in silence, somebody speaks, they call that the inner light. But this business of light, is it the same? Inside and out? Well, our Swamis will probably say, probably Sir Ramakrishna himself might have said, no, no, it's, it's different. Well, sure, it's different because it's inside. And it's accompanied by joy, we're told. I love that song in, uh, you know, God rest ye, merry gentlemen. Love and light, we'll say, love and joy come to you at Christmas time. But I rather imagine that light is light. And yes, as they say, God is love and God is light. 
But as far as the lights that shine on earth, by which it says in the Upanishads that uh, nothing like the light of God and its splendor. Uh, they speak about sitting down, Ramakrishna did. You can imagine Shiva, for example, sitting on a mountain in Kailash, and uh, he's meditating. But before he meditates, the stars are supposed he can pluck them out of the sky with his hand, kind of like Texas, you know, big and bright. Then he closes his eyes, and my friends, he sees the light of a million sun. So Ramakrishna explained that. But on earth, these fires, to what a speak of fire, where does that light come from? Well, it very much looks as if electrons kind of dancing around the nucleus in ways that we could hardly imagine when we simply thought of them being like planets around the sun. They can fall closer to the nucleus, and they can go further out. And when they go further out, they can absorb energy. And when they come back in again, it comes out as a photon. Photons are described as little blobs. <laughs> the system has shed energy. Little blobs, which have been named photons. This is from Wikipedia, and I just love it. It says, the amount of energy of each photon varies depending on the reactions and the difference in energy between the initial and final state. These photons, as quantum particles, have a frequency associated with them. Stains the white radiance of eternity. At the low end, think of it, you have infrared light. We can't see it, but we can feel it. We call it heat. And at the high end, you've got ultraviolet light. We can't see it, but by golly, we sure know that it's around for all kinds of reasons sometimes and others. They're going to look at the stars in infrared light and ultraviolet light. I really want you to be alert on this, you youngins. I want you to know that the James Webb Telescope is coming up next year. And by golly, this to us is a cathedral. It's our eye on the universe. And it's going to go so far back in time and space. In infrared and perhaps ultraviolet, that's up there too. And in the middle ranges of frequency, they say, you have visible light. Where red is fairly low energy, low frequency, and up through yellow and green to blue, which is high. And it's at the time that the electrons, which are kind of boiling around, they're in an excited state. They absorb energy. They kick themselves up into the higher ring, a little further from the nucleus, and when they come down again, a photon is born. We know quite often in our experience, probably what most of what we think of, is fire. That same fire that we sat around and thought awesome thoughts, or awesome thoughts were engendered in us way under B.C. Well, what happens is, as you know, when oxygen joins something, great things happen. Mars, the red planet, is the red planet because oxygen joined with iron. That's the way we get rust on Earth. That's why all the red rocks, all of that, is because finally we got an oxygen atmosphere and it joined. But it can also join in the very familiar experience of fire. That's what's happening. You're feeding oxygen to the fire materials and you're getting light because it's so highly excited. But you know, my friends, the sun, from whom we get all of the energy, basically all of the energy that we use, 
John Dobson, perhaps you remember our philosopher astronomer, he was a monk in Northern California with us for 22 years, and then he went and gave telescopes to the world, showed us how to make, we've made, this is something you might surprise you, I'm a vision of telescope, we've made over 500 telescopes in Hollywood under John's actual teaching, and I'm a bit when he's not there, mothers and daughters and fathers and sons, big ones, 10 inches, nothing probably less than 10 inches. And these Dobsonian telescopes go way up there. They're used on all the big telescopes today, the Keck modifications. And uh, to us, it's our eye into the depths of the universe where amazing things seem to be happening. For example, little things like this one. You know, when you see Sirius in the... Uh, the wintertime, you can see Orion, and Sirius is the eye of the dog, the dog star, trying to protect Orion from the scorpion, which is only up in the summertime. It's minus one. It's eight light years away, my friends. Minus one brilliance. You can see it from all over the world. So there's a little equation that John stumbled on that Einstein came to and thought he didn't see deeply enough into. It's really about light. And what he tries to say is that the big S, the total separation, is space minus time, x minus t. It's x squared, the square root. It's all very exciting, but it's there. And I had the opportunity once of seeing Dr. Feynman, which everybody trying to see him talked about John. John wanted to talk to him. Did briefly once. I said, Dr. Feynman, look at this equation. We don't think Einstein saw it deeply enough. He has, it's not difficult, simplified, S, big S, right? equals x squared minus t squared, the square root. Well, the problem is that the distance to Sirius is eight light years. And if it falls on your eye tonight, if it were still up, it would take eight years to come in here, wouldn't it? So x, t, eight minus eight is zero. In space-time, the separation is zero. And Dr. Feynman said to me, he said, there is separation. In space. I said, no, Dr. Feynman, I'm not going to get a PhD this way. Nobody would try to say these. The fool rushes in where angels... I said, no, Dr. Feynman. You see, we're talking about time coming in with a minus sign. He says, there is separation in time. And <laughs> please forget, I need a papal disposition, whatever you call it, <laughs> on this one, you know. I said, no, 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 Dr. Feynman. We're talking about the total separation. And then for the first time, John says, he said it in public, he thinks, there is no separation in space-time. That's what the mystics are going to say. So the point is, if you send something out, a, a light beam from Sirius tonight, and it gets here eight years, there's no separation. It's mysterious, but it's the kind of thing you might expect the mystics to speak about. It's all light. It's all one. It's all the supreme infinity. So if God is, for example, omnipresent, there's no place he's not going to be. And he really doesn't have to hurry to get there because he's already there. I'm not sure about this, but this is the sort of thing you think about on a dark moonlit night when the stars are up. I mean, haven't you noticed that wherever you've been, whenever it was, there was no then or there? only here and now, just like our own experience. It's always here and now, with no elsewhere or any moment except the present one. Well, there's some funny things about time. Everything is stationary from its own perspective. When an object moves, 
you defined its velocity by looking at how much of your distance it covers according to your clock. So is the light inside or outside? When a light beam is moving at the speed of light, the way things look to it is just like we're talking about God might see things. There's a wonderful phrase. Those old Latin phrases are great, you know? Those old Middle Ages days. They call it subspeciae, aeternitatis, from the standpoint, from the eye of God. According to relativity, time stands still at the speed of light. So I'm just saying that if we're inspired by it, I feel that astronomy, physics, making telescopes, sitting out at night, and becoming contemplative is a grand way to begin. I think that's where we, where we, uh, we all started. The problem is, I think we should understand that what we're talking about is obviously on a grand scale. Yeah, on Earth it's fire, but the sun is not burning. It used to. It used to have the regular thing of fire and oxygen, whatever it was, helium was burning. But it couldn't keep from collapsing by gravity at that rate, so it had to invent something new. It invented radiation. It invented fusion. It invented all this atomic energy that we're talking about in which helium is created from hydrogen and the light comes from that transaction. So I think that it's interesting if we try to understand that we are awash in some kind of an ocean. You know, probably the fish are as unconscious of the water as we are of the air. But the electrons sharing this priceless gift, this electricity which becomes light, are really creating the dance of Shiva. So much so that if you know the Tao of Physics, Fritzhoff Capra, some years ago, wonderful book, our book, we've talked to him, we love him, he loves us, has a picture of Shiva. And then it has the trails that can be seen, the electron trails that can be discerned in the exam. So this is the dance of the universe. Now the question is, does electricity, how does it go through these electrons? Well, there's a feeling that some people have that electrons stay where they are, and they bump each other, you see, and the wave goes through, like the Dodger game. I think we're far enough north, north to all be Dodger friends, yeah. So I was since World War II, actually, but the thing is, you know, they go up like this, and people stay in their seats, basically, but the wave goes through them. And whereas fire creates heat and light, electricity may be like a bump, like the people sitting next to each other on the New York subway. I thought about New York because I grew up there. Well, I didn't. I was born there. I never grew up. <clears throat> but then you knew that anyway. Yeah. All right. I want to say that everything existing in the universe, we're told, from the blade of grass to the sun itself, is impregnated with a cosmic energy, that Shakti, capital S, with which Ramakrishna identified himself. That is to say, mother. That's Swami uh, Yogeshwaranda, 94 in the shade, I, they tell me, down there in Tribuco. We have some wonderful new books out. The Life of the French Swami, Swami Sudeshwaranda, went to France before World War II, during World War II, uh, and Yogeshwaranda, oh my goodness, who was uh, Yogeshwaranda's uh, uh, guru and all that. 
So now let's go to our boy, our Vedanta boy, Erwin Schrodinger. The reason I'm emphasizing this is a lot of us were born, as we say, west of the Mississippi. We were born west of the Ganges. And I would like a lot of people to understand, huh? That we have a song to sing too. I have a song to sing. Oh, what is your song? Oh, it's from the Yeoman of the Garden, Gilbert and Sullivan. Ran into a Quaker the other day, wonderful old guy. He looked down at me, he said, You know what the bird said? And I said, What did the bird say? He said, The bird singing it said, I sing, not because I have a voice, but because I have a song. So I want us to feel that everything around us is spiritual. I want us to feel it. Like the fish is feeling the joy leaping in the ocean of bliss. Another Ramakrishna image. Because if we can feel it somewhere, then we're on our road, are we not? Up the mountain of God to union with God. And I love to say that spiritual experience is not all that fancy. And as Americans, we're a little bit skeptical, you know. Well, the Indians talk about me. Hey, it's as easy as anything. Because the near end of that rainbow, the near end, the infrared end, is love. And Swami Pavananda said, we have no excuse. We used to love his baby. And as we go along the rainbow bridge of our life into this song and dance of eternity, we will get one day, who knows when, in God's own good time, to the land of the ultraviolet, the land of light. You know, our Swami gave us, founding Swami, some wonderful prayers. Jesus gave us a prayer, did he not? Swami's prayer was, O Lord, I want to love thee and thee only. Please help me. And the other one, like under the first is, O Lord, reveal thyself in thine own good time, but grant me devotion. Now, I'm going to get a little practical with you because we're mostly Yankees in this room as far as I can see. And, of course, the people that got off the boat yesterday from India, they're Yankees. And, my Lord, look what's happened. They've hit the ground running. Governors, you know, may I, I can't go. We don't have time. Spelling bee champions every year. But they've given us everything, including their greatest export, my friends, spirituality. And when I see somebody that just came yesterday from Calcutta to visit, I say to them, what took you so long? Erwin Schrodinger. Well, I'm going to be practical. That's the point. How about that prayer? Oh, Lord, I want to love thee and thee only. Please help me. You know, if we were real scientists, because it's only between us and God anyway, nobody's listening, nobody's looking, we try it out. We try it out. And not just one day, but try it out for a while. He's very generous. He's got a lot a stuff that he's really eager to give away. Are we courageous enough? Our self-conscious little selves, you know, Bette Midler's song, never learn to dance, afraid to dance. Just sit down one morning in meditation, say, oh Lord, I've got your attention. Hi Lord, I want to love you. You only, please help me.
See what happens. Aaron Schrodinger, in his influential 1944 monograph, What is Life? Because he actually founded the world of microbiology and directed all this stuff. The eminent quantum physicist Erwin Schrodinger Vedantist, that's our addition, argued that this is what living things must do, the swimming in the ocean of God. You see... This thing is about entropy. We're burning things all the time, and once you scramble an egg, you can't unscramble it. The only way you can get it to go backwards is to get a motion picture, and so the glass jumps back up off the table. It, an open system can keep its entropy, that scrambledness of things, low. That is, divide energy among its atoms by greatly increasing the entropy of the surroundings. We eat everything in sight. Our job is not to eat up the whole planet. But that's how we go. We are defying the law of entropy, which everything's running down, heat, unusable, by this marvelous temporary reprieve that God given us because he loves the show. He loves to watch the waterfall with new atoms all the time. He loves to see the meteor shower. We're God's meteor shower. We're stardust. You know, this is not just theoretical. A plant, for example, he says, absorbs extremely energetic sunlight uses it to build sugars, and ejects infrared light, heat, a much less concentrated form of energy. So my friends, from this speculation, from our Western angle of perception, is it possible? Is it possible? Each person should think of this for herself and himself, that God is love, that God is light, infinite. They talk about Satchitananda, huh? existence, knowledge, bliss, the way to describe Nirvikalpa Samadhi, which can be on description, infinity. And some people are saying, I think it's Swami Sarvapriyananda, that there's awareness, there's existence. First there's existence, and then there's awareness of existence. And that awareness of existence brings joy, Satchitananda. But the Swamis, like Swami Prabhupada will tell us that when the light comes in the form of samadhi, it's joy. I'd like to just stay a minute with the personal side of this. I think it's pretty impressive what our Swamis have reported back. I love these things. The scriptures are just the writings of illumined souls. O oh Lord, it said, Thou art self-effulgent, the embodiment of truth. Thou art the Atman, the innermost self in all beings. Thou art the teacher of all teachers, ultimately back to the source of a truly illumined soul. The Bhagavatam says also true expiation comes from illumination. Morgan Freeman. That's been my favorite preacher right now. Hey, I've heard some great ones. I heard Daddy King, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s father. And I think we have time to slip this in by. He was talking about preaching at that time. He said a lot of the young preachers come up and they think that all you've got to do is open your mouth. He says, you know what comes out? He says, hot air. <laughs> he was advising them to do some time in reflection or whatever it is in preparation. But he talked about, speaking of the lady in the balcony there, a woman that was passing by her neighbor's home, 
in the south, and the man was standing behind a little white picket fence in his front yard, the garden there, grassy lawn, and she said, uh, Brother Jones, and he said, yes, Sister William, said, Brother Jones, she said, I hear, this is Dr. Martin Luther King Sr. saying, they call me America's preacher, well, maybe I am, guess I am. He said, Brother Jones, I hear that lately they're telling me that in church you're commencing to shout. And he said, well, Sister Williams, I'll tell you. He said, my wife just got over a six-year illness, and my daughter was graduated from law school. And my son got out of jail. He said, now, Sister Williams, he said, I do shout. I do shout. But you've got to have something to shout about. And uh, Rene Pineda won't do this because he doesn't seem to see it as I do. Cathedral experience. He went to Tupelo, Mississippi. You heard about somebody in Tupelo? Man, what's the man's name? He's a singer. Some Elvis fellow. Elvis Presley came to church in Hollywood, in the, in the temple. He could never come to church because he knew that he would uh, disrupt the service. But he came at night with his mentor, Larry Geller. Amazing people. I envisioned him at 1 a.m. in the morning with one of those gold spires sticking up there and a full moon in the background. So anyway, he went with a friend of his. Rene is Latino, American, American, more American than I am for sure. His folks have been here for thousands of years, Arizona and Mexico. And he went with his friend when he was 13 to visit Uncle Naves and Aunt Fat in Mississippi. Uncle Naves Uncle Nathan. And Uncle Nays took him to the next town to a church service where the preacher said, and I think this is the whole thing, don't you? He said, if you want Jesus, if you want Jesus, you've got to go down to the well. Well, my friends, if you look deep in the well, hmm? on a starry night, you'll see this bright star shining back at you. What Morgan Freeman said in his great series on God, he said, what I saw was the tiniest beam of light, which to me was the final form of life. Our Swami mm, Itishrananda, who was our Yogeshananda's guru, was quite something. He uh, was another one of these... Uh, Disciples of a disciple of Brahmananda, there are so many, were grandsons of Brahmananda, those of us who were here with Swami Prabhupada, Swami Sarvadanta, Sarvadevananda, our minister, is a grandson of Brahmananda through uh, his teacher, and Yatishananda was, and uh, also Swami Dayatmananda in England. They're all over the place, the ones that are talking in this vein. And apparently, Yatishrananda was so great, I had his picture, but I think I gave it out, and I will have to show you another one. He's just sitting there, and somehow it kind of looks like, you know what I mean? Whether he's in a white robe or not, I don't know. Like the picture is kind of like full of light. And he was known to be one of these shiners. And he existed in our day. He's the teacher of our Yogeshananda. Went back to India, they made him president of the order, but, uh, you know, he was too old, he didn't want to do it, but they made him president anyway, and he still, I'm not going to do it, but they made him president for a while. And they said, some, the, the head of the monastery was, they were saying, well, you know, I'm reading about all these people, 
that had experienced these elevating, increasingly, uh, you know, sort of complementary, increasing levels of, of spiritual awareness as they think more and more and more and more often about God. And these people that have seen this light, and uh, he said to the, the head of the center, those must have been wonderful days. And the head said to him, well, he said, we got one right here in Swami Dishananda. Swami Vigyanananda was Swami Swananda's guru. And I think that it's very exciting to realize that it was he, an engineer, who helped to really work the engineering plans out for Bellarmat, and Brahmananda, who had the most visions of this sort. And in the Bhagavatam, before we go to Swami Vigyanananda, I'd like you to hear what I see as pretty much the whole story, the synthesis. It says that in sitting down to meditate, in the West we say that prayer is talking to God, meditation is listening to God, being receptive. You imagine, you think of, you visualize your ishtam. Isn't it a wonderful phrase, your chosen ideal? Vedanta is so inclusive. Everybody's included. Any concept under which an individual chooses to worship God, ishtam, the chosen ideal. Meditate, him, meditate on him as the supreme cause, and it could be without form. It could be love itself, it could be light, in whom the whole universe exists and from whom the whole universe evolves. Then last of all, meditate on the oneness of the self, capital S, with God, the one blissful existence, the one in capital letters, all of them, I am. With mind thus absorbed, a man sees me alone in himself and herself, and humanity sees itself in me, the self, capital S, of all, dash, light, joined to light. A yogi, thus practicing meditation regularly with intense devotion, soon rises above all limitations of knowledge and action by realizing the one all-pervading reality, Bhagavatam. Now here's what Swami Vigyanananda, our marvelous guru of Swami Vigyanananda, said. He was at one point in a museum or something and saw a statue of the Lord Buddha. He said, although I had some visions previously at holy places or in temples, I'd never experienced anything like this before. It was something wonderful. A formless ocean of light, exclamation point. Gradually the whole universe began to fade out. I found myself standing like a tiny speck on the edge of that bright ocean gazing with wonder at that blissful effulgence. Then I was no longer in myself. In an instant, the entire universe disappeared and got merged into an ocean of pure consciousness with a sea. And out of this came up a very beautiful and lovely image of Lord Buddha. What an intense bliss I experienced. I remained in a state of spiritual intoxication for three days. On this topic, he said on another occasion, when Sukhdeva, Sukhdeva was practicing spiritual disciplines in the Hamadas, he would hear the word, Brahman, Brahman, 
on all sides. Jayati Brahman. Brahman is light. Capital L. With the words that he heard echoing in the mountains. Do you know what this Jyoti, this light, is like? It is very sweet and soothing, representing bliss, peace, and enlightenment. The Jyoti is of pure consciousness. I saw this Jyoti at the Sarnath Museum before the image of Buddha. It was an infinite and indivisible ocean of light with myself as a tiny speck in it. The whole world faded out, myself included. And now may the Lord bless us and keep us. May he make his face to shine upon us and be gracious unto us. May he lift up his countenance and give us light. Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. Peace, peace, peace. You've been listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Thanks for listening.